So we've come together on the oppositor, the first one after the rainy season. So it's now the dry season. <clears throat> A suitable time for practicing more in the outdoors with the warm weather, sitting, walking meditation, even staying in a grot or a tent or on a platform. When you reflect on our life as bhikkhus, we're learning to live simply, easily in the world. We live in the forest with few possessions, with no money, and our training is one in harmlessness, not to harm the environment, people or creatures around us. So sometimes it's useful for us to spend time living simply in the forest, camping out. <coughs> Even though it can bring up hardship because of the simplicity we have to do without some of our usual comforts. We're more exposed to the elements, to small creatures and snakes and things like that. But these challenges tend to bring up wise reflection if we turn our mind to think about why we're doing it, the purpose, and can improve our patience and help us bring up effort in our practice. And the practice of the bhikkhu life is very much defined by living simply and in harmony with our surroundings, in harmony with other people, with the environment. <coughs> and these are themes that come up all the time because we're training, we're in training, training our mind, speech, our actions. And these themes of harmony and harmlessness, simplicity, ease of living, moderation, these are always coming up in our reflection if we're following the Vinaya and training the mind in mindfulness and meditation. There's one time some journalists, Western journalists, talked to the Thai king. They were making a documentary about his family. They were asking him about the difference between Christianity and Buddhism and the concept of original sin. And asking him whether Buddhism teaches anything like that. 
And he answered that no, it doesn't. The Buddhist teachings talk about the original mind or the pure mind. That's without defilement, without suffering. And we're practicing to, as it were, get back to the original mind, the pure mind. by clearing away our delusions and attachments that we've built up over our life and over many lives. And this gives us a reflection as we contemplate how to bring this mind to peace, how to experience more happiness, free ourselves from suffering. Really, everything we have to do that is here already. We have our body, we have our mind. And inherently that mind is pure, radiant, peaceful. And if we keep cultivating the path in the right way, with right understanding, then we'll start to experience that more whether in just glimpses or maybe in more profound ways. As I say, every moment of mindfulness we bring up in our day, in our practice, is bringing us a little bit closer to Nibbāna, to experiencing the unconditioned, the pure mind. So our practice is about training body, speech and mind, but ultimately training the mind. So the, these are the qualities that we're developing, and the simplicity, the moderation, the compassion, the mindfulness are all supporting that. You notice if you're paying more attention to your own mind, bringing up mindfulness, contemplating things, considering things. It's quite natural that the qualities of kindness and compassion arise as you do that. Because you're taking interest in your own mind and where suffering arises, why it arises, and how to deal with it skillfully and how to end it. That interest, that attitude is one of caring, taking care of our mind and our, our whole life. And this is what the practice brings up. As we train in this way, we start to care more, <coughs> take more responsibility for our own mind and state of mind, whether it's peaceful or not. Developing a sense of awareness, understanding, responsibility for what we're experiencing. And this is a form of kindness, compassion, directed to ourselves. When you take the time to put effort into developing mindfulness and contemplating the truth, 
you're giving yourself self-respect as you're treating yourself as something as of value as a person, a human being with a body, a mind. If you're putting effort into the practice, into this training, then it implies that we give value to ourselves. It's worth doing this, this training, this practice. And this is a form of compassion. Obviously, as we learn to give value and respect ourselves through the practice, then we, in the same way, learn to give respect and value to others. So as we learn to respect ourselves, we respect others. Because the more we understand our own mind, our own life, and how suffering arises, how to deal with it, how to end it, then we can see similar things in others, we understand how others may suffer just as like just like we do, how others wish to be free from suffering just like we do. So we tend to become more sensitive, more aware through the practice. And this again, this is the practice and the development of kindness, compassion, back with wisdom through the experience that we gain in the practice. So as bhikkhus, the Buddha gave us the Vinaya training to help us, give us guidelines, and to develop some of the qualities that help us to care for this mind, encouraging us to develop this sense of shame and understanding of karma, so that we're aware of the consequences of our actions. We don't wish to create suffering for ourselves or others. So we become more careful, more reflective on the way we do things, even just mentally what we're thinking, where we're turning our mind. And this sense of shame, it's not the same as guilt. It's this sense of, it's a positive, wholesome quality. One of the, you might say the beautiful mental factors that affect the mind through the practice as they come up in a good way. It's that sense again, valuing this human mind and not wishing to harm it or damage it and being aware that our own thinking and the way we act, speak, that does affect the mind all the time. The understanding about cause and result through reflecting on karma. And because we value the mind, the respect the mind, then the sense of shame arises where we don't want to harm it, damage it, or sometimes you use the sense of dirty it or sully it. Because that's how we suffer. We've allowed more negative mental states, delusions, attachments take over the mind and these are what have taken away its peace, happiness and purity. 
So the more we open up to that through the practice and recognize what's going on, see the process by which suffering arises in the mind, then the more we wish to free ourselves and prevent more suffering arising. We don't want to let the kalesas or the negative emotions, negative tendencies take over the mind so much in the future or, or right now or in the future because we value the mind and we value peace of mind as our goal. So you'll notice as you practice more with the training in the Vinaya and just general mindfulness in daily life and then the sense of shame, fear of wrongdoing or hiriotipa becomes more and more refined. You actually become more aware of how you're treating your own mind, what inputs you're giving to yourself in the way you say how we use our senses, what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, and then what <coughs> ideas, concepts and memories we dwell on in our mind. And we become more aware of how sense contact is affecting the mind. And we become more mindful and more discerning towards that. We start to learn what leads to what. So as you practice more, you're, you're aware if you pursue more unwholesome ways, as body, speech, or mind, well, it brings you suffering. You notice that. And if you're really intent on freeing yourself from suffering and you have that sense of love and care for your own mind, then you start to turn away out of the sense of shame from that which is unwholesome or which will cause you suffering. Sometimes this can be subtle, like we probably all know how sometimes you take, can take the Vinaya rules which are given to us by the Buddha in a very skillful way of training human beings and yet even that, even then, a Vinaya rule can sometimes be a cause for suffering when we grasp at it wrongly or attach to it with a sense of self. So sometimes it can be a cause for, say, aversion to arise when you try and, out of faith or commitment to the Vinaya to keep it strictly. And then you notice when you make a mistake or lapsed, didn't keep her all properly, sometimes we turn on ourselves, blame ourselves. Or sometimes we're looking outwards at other people and blame them, turn our mind on them. And the Vinaya becomes a, a tool for Kilesa. Sometimes it's just more subtle than that, just our mental states, we judge ourselves. As, as we keep practicing, we can judge ourselves as being some, we have those kind of thoughts, um, somebody with a lot of defilement, or I'm no good at meditation, or I'm hopeless, or I don't know anything. We can become very negative towards ourselves. Maybe that's been initiated by 
having faith in the way of practice and having the ideal of the goal of wanting to develop the path, sila, samadhi, panya, training body, speech and mind with a high goal, nibbana, the freedom from suffering. But as we're doing that, we can lack awareness. So we lack a sense of shame, we lack a sense of compassion towards ourselves sometimes and then judge ourselves for any defilement that we notice. Or sometimes we're just unclear what is a defilement, what isn't. Especially in the beginning of practice, just very obvious things like eating food. Sometimes we become so fixed in our view, it's almost like we, we see every, every kind of food and any form of eating must be defilement, must be, there's greed in the mind, it must be bad, must be wrong. Well, obviously as human beings we need to eat to keep the body going, to keep it healthy. And the body is our vehicle for attaining Nibbana, we need to use it, rely on it. So then we have to relax that view, we can't see food just as a constant source of defilement or an attachment that should be squashed or got rid of. We have to accept we need to eat. So out of wisdom, compassion, understanding, we can eat. But obviously we practice eating mindfully in, rest, in a restrained way, reflecting on the purpose of food as we do. But the Buddha didn't say, don't eat. He just said, eat in moderation, mindfully reflecting on why you're eating. So this is how the skill of a monk is learning how to practice neither being too hard on oneself nor too lax. Obviously the way of practice is not to just to indulge defilement either, just follow all our desires. But it's a skill where you have to ground your mind in kindness and compassion for yourself as a human being in order that you can practice effectively and that you can train the mind. You have to have that sense of wanting to look after the mind, taking care of it. You might say this is part of right effort, You're learning what is a balanced effort, neither so harsh nor so relaxed that you lose, lose track of the, the Eightfold Noble Path. Zen Chai used to say we have to act like our own parents in terms of the decisions we make and the attitudes we have towards ourselves during the practice. And we've left the home life, so now we're our own parents. Even though we have teachers and Sangha members to help us, give us reflections. Most of the time though, we have to be our own teacher and our, learn to reflect for ourselves. So we have to be like our own parents. And Ajahn Chah used to say, if parents are too harsh, then they push their child into a corner and a child, child loses sense of proportion, maybe becomes depressed or develops a very negative outlook because it's always being scolded or bullied. 
but then you can't spoil the child either. You can't just indulge all your desires because you'll never develop enough restraint, mindfulness or patience to let go of defilements. We have to learn how to treat our practice and develop a skillful attitude to it and be able to adapt and adjust between sometimes being strict, sometimes being more relaxed with ourselves depending on what's required, what's needed. If we're too rigid, then there's no wisdom arising and maybe even compassion disappears and just becomes a blind attachment. What you might call sila patabaramasa, where we just attach to certain views on the practice, certain rigid ways, habits, without reflecting, without seeing the higher purpose of training the mind to free it from delusions, from attachments, from defilements. Occasionally even the practice can become a cause for increasing defilement. So when we become very strict with ourselves, very over-rigid, over-strict, we may become more angry, more miserable as a person, as a result of our practice. Or if we indulge too much, well, we may become more greedy than we used to be before, more indulgent, more lazy, more selfish. Even within the boundary of the practice, it's possible for defilements to, to grow in different ways, new ones to come in that didn't seem to be there before. So we have to be vigilant, and this is why it's an all-round training, training in body, speech, mind. And these two qualities, hiriotapa, are very they're essential for the practice because they're the guardians of the mind. They look after the mind, protect it from getting caught into defilement, or if defilement's arisen, then the, the sense of shame that quality that wants to abandon the defilement as quick as possible, not let, let it affect the mind anymore. But these are different from the more sort of Western or Christian attitude of guilt, where one is already always thinking, I'm bad, I'm wrong, as a kind of starting viewpoint. That tends to lead to you know, depression and negativity, which is just self-feeding all the time. So we actually can use some of the wisdom of the Buddha, even if we haven't experienced the pure mind, we can at least use that reflection as a way to help guide us in our efforts and give direction to the way we're practicing. You know, we're practicing to get back to the pure peaceful, radiant mind, the happy mind. Sometimes in Thailand they use very simple descriptions to give us an example, give us an idea of where we're going. Like the teachers say, jit yim, and the mind with a smile on it, like the mind that is free from defilement. It may not be the mind yet of Nibbana, but just the mind that it has abandoned the hindrances temporarily, is already as if smiling. It's peaceful, happy in itself, content. And this we can all achieve from time to time. 
as I said, just a moment of mindfulness where you pay, pay attention to the present moment, bring up awareness, pay attention in the present moment at some point, can cut through everything else. If one's very agitated or restless, just to recollect your usual meditation object, and all that restlessness can just drop away even if it only is for a few moments until the restless agitation returns, it's still a few moments of the peaceful mind. Obviously, as we're practicing more in the monastery, which is a, generally a fairly peaceful place, we have the time, the opportunity to practice well. You start to notice the states of peace and the undefiled mind more and more because everyone will have moments where the defilements are quiet, they're not bothering you. It's just often it's so subtle that we don't even notice it. But if you keep putting effort into the practice in a situation like this, well, you, you do tend to notice there are periods where the mind is quieter, times when there's no greed, no anger arising. And we should really appreciate them. You might even say that's a, a form of the practice of mudita, just as we practice metta and karuna for ourselves, for others. Mudita is even noticing times when your mind is peaceful enough, there's no obvious greed, obvious anger, no obvious fear or worry present. If you become mindful and aware of that, you can have mudita for yourself and rejoice, be happy that at this time the mind is peaceful. Mudita is a more subtle Brahmavihara which often it takes time to develop and mature. Kindness and compassion we often, you know, we can bring up those concepts quite quickly and put effort into developing them. Especially as wisdom arises, we understand ourselves more, understand others more. They become more natural to the mind. But mudita often is something we have to really appreciate. You appreciate the good of your own life, practicing like this, and some of your achievements, things you've learned, states of peace you've experienced, the precepts you're keeping, the harmlessness of your life. This is something over time you may subtly start to appreciate and have mudita for yourself. Or turning to others, maybe mudita for other members of the Sangha. Just recognizing the goodness of this lifestyle and having the appreciation for the others around you. And outwards from that, appreciation for others anywhere in the world, whether they're Sangha members or laity who do good in different ways, are not harming each other, are trying to help each other in their families, in the workplace, just out in society generally. As you become more aware of the quality of mudita, then obviously you notice it more and it comes up more in your way of thinking. And it's another source of peace. You know, if you can have mudita in your mind, your mind can, is going to be peaceful, at least on one level. 
you're not caught into jealousy or envy, selfishness. You can be able to appreciate with mindfulness in an open, unbiased way, with wisdom. You can appreciate the good in yourself or the good in others. And this is part of the result of the practice is that we start to see things the way they are. This right view comes up. Wisdom and understanding comes up. You're looking at yourself in the world around you with the eye of wisdom, with clarity, with mindfulness. So not from a biased perspective, from a sense of self or attachment or confusion or suffering. You're just seeing the way things are. So if you see good in yourself, then you recognize it. When there's mindfulness, there's understanding, you can't deny it. Obviously you have to guard against a sense of conceit or arrogance falling, forming around it. But if the mind is peaceful, you can be honest and recognize the good in yourself. Or you might recognize the good in others. As the mind becomes brighter, more wholesome, more skillful qualities arise, then these Brahma-viharas come up more naturally. And it can even be a source of peace and joy, as, even as a meditation object, just to contemplate the good in others and to appreciate the good in oneself and others. So as we practice, the Brahma-viharas tend to develop simultaneously you know, as you develop more self-awareness, more understanding of the path of practice. You just naturally become a little bit more kinder, compassionate towards oneself and others equally. It's that sense of the unconditional kindness and compassion They compare it to the, Maya, the the light of the moon on the full moon night. It shines down on the world below. It doesn't choose where it shines. It doesn't choose which person it shines on. It just shines on everyone, everybody, every place. The mind tends to be like that. As we practice more and let go of some of the coarser defilements, the mind becomes brighter, and that brightness, the purity of the mind is unbiased, unconditional. So it affects us in a good way, but it also affects the people around us in a good way. Sometimes it's very subtle, hardly notice. Other times maybe the mind is obviously bright and it will have a very clear, good effect on oneself and others. And all the Brahmaviharas lead on to equanimity. Again, when there's more consistent mindfulness arising and we're considering and contemplating the truth, well, the truth brings the mind to equanimity because we understand the way things are more clearly. And that means the mind accepts the way things are. So it accepts the truths of universal truth, anicca, dukkha, anatta, more easily 
recognizes them more easily. So it's more, the mind again becomes more peaceful, but not peaceful from avoiding the real world or avoiding suffering or avoiding anything, but just seeing the way things are, the transient, changeable nature of this body and mind and the world. Seeing the inherent dukkha in this world, in this body, in this mind, in the things around us. The instability, the changing nature of things, the constant pressure on us because things change. Nothing stays the same. We're constantly under pressure and it's difficult to bear with. That's the nature of dukkha is living in this world. It's difficult to bear with, with change and the conditioned nature of things. But when the mind recognizes that with mindfulness, with wisdom, equanimity arises. Because the mind doesn't fight against pain and suffering, it just recognizes it as a quality, oh, it's like that. We get pain, aches, pains, injury, illness in this body. But with mindfulness and wisdom we accept that well, that's just the way it is. Or the people we love have pain or injury or aging or facing their death. Same. We come to understand with mindfulness it's just the way it is. And the more we reflect on the truth, the mind can come to terms, be at peace with it through acceptance. When we're not practicing in this way, the mind just tends to resist dukkha all the time. Resists impermanence, resists dukkha, so it's just battling away in a losing battle. You know, when we have no mindfulness, then every bit of dukkha is a big problem. The mind takes it seriously, attaches to it, generally ends up hating it. So we become more and more miserable as human beings. But when we develop more mindfulness, more equanimity from the mindfulness, we can understand dukkha as dukkha, as a noble truth, and accept it. When you reflect on your body and how it's changing, aging, get sick, you can just accept that's the way it is of a human body. You don't have to battle everything. You just accept it's like this. Mindfulness and wisdom brings a certain beauty to the mind. Beauty in the sense that the mind is still bright and seeing the truth peacefully rather than getting caught into attachment, aversion, and resisting the truth. That's why it's good sometimes when the senior monks come to visit, some of these older ones who are maybe experiencing old age firsthand or serious illness firsthand or even contemplating the close proximity of their own death as they show you what a, a lifetime in the robes does it gives you that balance of outlook and attitude it gives you the mindfulness just to know the way things are and accept in your heart peacefully without always fighting or trying to get away from you notice when we start the practice, when we first ordain, the mind is just struggling around, just can't settle down, it's never satisfied, never content, 
never getting what it's want, want what it wants. If you keep practicing with that, contemplating, seeing the suffering that comes from holding on to desires and attachments, then you naturally want to let go. You can see the way to peace is letting go, it's not holding on. The things you desire you realize are impermanent, unsatisfactory, not self. Well then you don't desire them so much, the more you contemplate. So if you can really bring your mind to see the truth, see the reality of things, then it's peaceful, it's equanimous. These more senior monks, they say they always carry a certain equanimity with them, whatever their personal character, their how much they know, their skills and so on. They, they have certain things in common from having practiced the Dhamma maybe for 40, 50, 60 years. Is that they just know in a very kind of down-to-earth, common-sense way, the way things are. And they're not surprised by the way things are, so they don't suffer so much. They can reflect, oh, it's just the way it is. When we begin the practice, it's very hard to accept things, it's just the way it is. Because we're full, still full of all kinds of plans, desires, ambitions. If you keep using this reflection, bringing up the mindfulness, well, sure enough, over time, equanimity will start to arise. And we'll accept even difficult things, you know, we have to accept sometimes when we've made some bad karma in the past or we've got our own personal habits and character to deal with. You can accept it the more you bring up mindfulness. But you're starting to accept it with wisdom and mindfulness and you're changing yourself, developing yourself in a better way, you're not just it's not a kind of a passive acceptance where you just give in and feel like you can't change anything and it's all hopeless. It's more of an acceptance based on cause and effect, understanding karma. This is the way it's been. We maybe have made mistakes or we've built up certain attachments. So we accept without adding on further suffering or aversion to it. But we also understand we can change for the better through the practice. So it's not a passive acceptance, it's an acceptance of the way things are, but then it leads on to further skillful action. So as we enter the summer months, Maybe use your time wisely to practice more, particularly be outside, be closer to nature, closer to simplicity, contemplate the basic things that we have, looking after your requisites, firing a bowl, sewing a robe, keeping your kuti clean, tidy, if you learn to look after the things you have well and put effort into that, it means you're well trained and it's easy to go wherever you are, whether you're living in this monastery or you travel or you visit home, you take these good qualities with you. And when people see, they also find it inspiring. 
when people see a Buddhist monk who has just basic possessions and they know how to look after those possessions, they're not seeking a lot extra. This is inspiring for the world because the world, most people know they're caught up in all kinds of desires, ambitions, got too many things and possessions. Their lives are very complicated and they're suffering for it. So people appreciate somebody who's developing simplicity, mindfulness, bringing their mind to an understanding of truth. We can be a, something useful to the world, a benefit to the world. Again, this is the practice of Brahma-viharas. The more you understand how to train yourself, the more you can pass that on to others, either through being a good example or even teaching, spreading the Dhamma. So I'll leave you with these reflections tonight.